Our scripture today comes from three places in the Bible. The first uh, from Luke chapter 10, uh, beginning at the 38th verse. Hear the word of God. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is only need of one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Our second lesson is from Paul's letter to the Colossians, the first chapter beginning at the 15th verse. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And then lastly, these words, not printed in your bulletin, come from Genesis chapter 8, verses 6 through 12. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent out the raven, and it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. And then he sent out the dove from him to see if the waters have subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set its foot and it returned to him to the ark for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took it and brought it into the ark with him. He waited another seven days and again he sent out the dove from the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening and there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent out the dove and it did not return to him anymore. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. It has been 21 years since the Twin Towers fell in New York City. Serving as a pastor in a bedroom community outside of New York, I, along with many others, waited for several days holding out hope that those we knew in those towers would somehow still be found alive or miraculously appear. It wasn't long before we were performing memorial services and making trips into the city to bring meals to the recovery workers. 
Seeing up close the mountains of twisted metal and broken concrete, it was hard to imagine that anything in that wreckage could survive. But just recently, when reading a book by Jane Goodall, I was reminded of something that happened a handful of weeks after the collapse of the towers. In the beginning days of the cleanup, a city worker, Becky Cloth, noticed the remnants of a tree, a, a calorie pear tree that, that seemed to have been destroyed, except that one of its branches still miserly held its green-filled leaves. Becky made her appeal to the powers that be that they should do whatever they could to save the tree, that it, that it should not be another victim of the tragedy, another few hundred pounds for the trash heap. So Becky became the tree's advocate and prevailed to ensure that with care, it was removed from the rubble and trucked to the edges of New York City where a gracious horticulturalist and tree expert volunteered to save its life. After replanting and pruning and watering and feeding, the tree began to grow new limbs and sprout new buds. Within a couple of years, two mourning doves built a nest within its branches and delivered new chicks for the skies. Maybe someday this survival tree would become a symbol. Well, years passed and with them the memories of many such that the tree and its location had been forgotten. When final plans were being made for the Memorial Park that would grace the grounds of Ground Zero, someone had a faint recollection of some tree that had been salvaged but had no idea where it might be. But Becky Clough knew she would never forget. And she led the designers to precisely where it was. And there it was, a stately, white-bloomed beauty, the picture of which, which you find on the front of your bulletin. With great care, the survivor tree was brought back to the grounds of Ground Zero, where it stands now as a sign and symbol of hope, life amidst the ruins. All due to Becky Clough, who noticed the tree, understood what the tree could be, never lost sight of the tree, and led others to discover the tree for themselves. In the 10th chapter of his gospel, Luke, the gospel writer, tells us the story of Jesus visiting the home of Mary and Martha. It's a story only Luke tells us, and its brevity can mask its majesty. Five simple verses that at first blush tell a quaint tale of two sisters who invite Jesus into their home. Jesus is passing through town, and they invite him over for dinner. Martha is busy in the kitchen getting dinner ready, and Mary chooses to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching. Martha gets ticked off that Mary's not helping with the meal and appeals to Jesus to get her sister off her rump and help. But surprise... Jesus takes Mary's side and says, no, work in the kitchen can wait. The better thing to do is to sit and listen. Draw nigh to the rabbi and listen. I confess to having preached on this text many, many times, and almost always the message has been that we just need to spend more time with Jesus put down the towel and the apron and the mixing spoon and spend time with Jesus. But with Luke, there's always more to the story. 
We, we've talked before of how Luke uniquely tells the story of Jesus and in his telling slowly peels back the layers of this rabbi to reveal the nature and mission of God and, and God's plan to save the world. R right from the get-go in Luke, the angels tell the shepherd, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In, in Luke, we slowly discover this saving mission and purpose of Jesus. So with all those unique Lucan stories, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, the confrontation in Nazareth, the lunch with Zacchaeus, we, we perk up our ears and wonder, what more is there to learn about this Savior? So when this Galilean rabbi accepts an offer for dinner from two sisters, apparently living on their own, we know something's up. Something isn't quite kosher. First century rabbis do not accept offers from women. Rabbis don't enter into women's houses. Rabbis do not receive the hospitality of women. There needs to be some man around this story, but there isn't. Just like there wasn't when Jesus sat down beside that Samaritan well and ended up talking to a woman. No men around. This Bethlehem Savior is up to something, and, and then he goes as far as to start teaching. And, and it's one thing to eat dinner, it's another thing to start teaching. Teaching, God forbid, a woman. He goes as far as to raising up at least one of these women to the rank of disciple. Something is up. Salvation has come even to this place. And, and here's the thing, Mary sees it. She sees what's happening. She sees who is before her. She hears a new teaching. She sees a new teacher. This mission of God has slipped into the door and is sitting right there in front of her. So she takes a seat. She hangs on every word. She leaves the potatoes to peel themselves. She risks the scorn of her, of her hospitable sister. Like Becky Cloth, amidst the rubble of life, she sees the tree of hope. And she is not going to let that tree out of her sight. Lawyers, they will argue with Jesus. Rich men will walk away from Jesus. Religious people will silence Jesus. Powerful people will sentence Jesus. Oblivious people will strap him even to his own tree and seek to snuff out his life. Oh, but Mary sits at Jesus' feet. Mary lays down and sees the branches and the buds and the blooms coming from the tree of life, the tree that has managed to survive the wrecks of time from then until now, the tree that shoots sprigs of hope, the tree that reminds us that God is the God of hope that brings life out of death, good news out of bad news, faith out of despair, light out of darkness. If we would just pause and look and listen, if we would just ponder the branches and the buds and the blooms and even, even maybe take a sprig for ourselves. Like the old story of Noah tossed and turned in that old ark over the floods of 40 days and finally the rain stops and the lingering question is, is the world over? Is humanity over? Has, is God over? So Noah sends out his feathered friends to look for signs of hope. And for a while, they bring nothing back. And then comes the dove. Finally comes the dove with that sprig of life, that sprig of hope. And Noah knows that the world has a future, a good future. 
Frederick Buechner describes it this way, the dove stands there with her delicate scarlet feet on the calluses of Noah's upturned palm. His cheek just touches her breast so he can feel the tiny panic of her heart. His eyes are closed, the lashes watery wet. Only, only what he weeps with now is no longer anguish, but wild and irrepressible hope. Just a little sprig of hope held up against the end of the world. So all this has left me wondering about the conversations I've been having with lots and lots of people. And it seems like from these conversations that more and more of us are losing hope. We read about and listen to all the things going on in the world, and we wonder where the world is going. Are things getting worse? Are we hopelessly divided? Are the foundations of civilization beginning to crumble? Are we ever going to have a conversation without getting into an argument? Will our leaders rise above the rancor and lead? Will swords ever be beat into plowshares? And all those questions come from my Christian friends. And they are good questions, though it seems the doubts increase and hope seems to dissipate. And it sometimes feels like we're walking across the rubble and seeing the wreckage, or we're wandering around the boat and surveying the deadly waters and unsure whether life can be found, or a sprig of hope is within reach. And, and it's like we've forgotten where the survival tree is. We heard about it once. Yeah, we learned about it in Sunday school. We, we sang about it at Easter. We caroled about it at Christmas. But we've forgotten where it went. And we're all hot and bothered like Martha, wondering who's pulling their weight and who's not. And we didn't notice who's in the house. We, we didn't see the tree of life sprouting in our midst. We, we didn't pause long enough to pull our own sprig of hope. We didn't wait long enough to hear an encouraging and hopeful word from the rabbi, the one whose tree of Calvary towers over space and time, the one whose good news is eternal, the one who is Alpha and Omega, the one who says, I am the way and the truth and the life, the one who offers us living water, the one who says, take up your cross, follow me, and there you'll find your life, the one who says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, the one in whom the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, and through whom God was pleased to reconcile all things by making peace by the blood of his tree, his survival tree. We can do all things in him if we would just sit at his feet and listen, if we would just pay attention to the signs of God's hopeful presence. Joan Anderson tells the story of when she was young and recently married and she and her husband and kids had just moved into their first house and the family was busy unpacking and figuring out where to put all their things. And then she, as they were, she looked out the window and noticed her father walking around the yard doing something and she couldn't quite notice what, she, he, what he was doing. So she asked, what was he doing? He said, oh, don't worry, you'll see soon enough. She couldn't imagine what that might be, but soon she forgot and went on to get settled into their new home. Months later, her father suddenly 
and unexpectedly died. And along with all the grief and shock came also the fact that she might never know what her father was doing out in the yard that day. But then spring came, and with the spring up from the ground came the crocuses, the crocuses from all the balms that her father had quietly and invisibly planted. Lavender, blue, yellow, and pink, all those balms planted by the love of the father. The rabbi sitting before Mary is planting his balms right there in the living room. Seeds for the future to remind her that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world, that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Alice Hurts Summer died several years ago. You may remember reading about her, the longest living survivor of the Holocaust. She died at the age of 110. There are a thousand different reasons, I suspect, for why and how a woman who spent years in a concentration camp can live to 110. But Alice Hertz Summer said that the reason she was alive was because of the music. She had been a great student of music before Hitler had come to power, and in particular, a student of Chopin. She embedded the beautiful music of Chopin and her mind and soul had laid hold of her, it stuck. She said it's what saved her in the camps. She could play this beautiful music from deep within her soul. They wanted her for her beautiful music. And when she was released and learned that her entire family had been murdered, all that hurt and pain and bitterness that was wont to follow her into the rest of her life was sent away, at least momentarily, by her music. She had been laid hold of by the music. Was it music to the ears of that new disciple Mary as she sat and listened to the Savior? Did the good news fill her soul and create a rhythm for her life in the cruel world? Were bulbs planted soon to bloom? Were branches and blooms appearing to offer their sprigs of hope? Did her time with the Savior chase her doubts away? Did she, like Noah, bring about a new creation? For it is into Christ's gracious and puzzling hands, continues Frederick Buechner, for it is into Christ's gracious and puzzling hands that we must commend ourselves through all the days of our voyaging, wherever it takes us, and at the end of all our voyages, we must build our arcs with love and ride out the storm with courage and know that the little sprig of green in the dove's mouth betokens a reality beyond the storm, more precious than the likes of us can imagine.